0: Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I want to talk about something that's always a concern as far as freedom goes, and that's the right to keep and bear arms. President Biden recently used the unchecked power of the executive that pretty much has been granted to the president since the New Deal to unilaterally pass regulations about so-called ghost guns. These are guns that are assembled from components people buy separately and therefore don't have serial numbers. And of course, for the government, if they can't track everybody who's exercising what's supposed to be a right forbidden to the federal government to regulate, then they're up in arms, no pun intended. So I wanted to say a few things about the right to keep and bear arms, the right to life, which supposedly everybody believes in, and the Second Amendment. So let's take the Second Amendment first. A lot of people, especially who got degrees in history and law on Twitter, cite the clause in the First Amendment that says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, that that clause somehow grants the federal government power to regulate the right to keep and bear arms, which it doesn't. So, just read the words of that clause and read the whole one sentence amendment, which, by the way, didn't have those very problematic commas in the original draft by James Madison. So, you can go look at the National Archive website and look at the document itself and know it wasn't there. But, in any case, that term about the well-regulated militia is simply a term that explains why the amendment is being written. The other way you could read it is the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed because a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state. So the reason for doing something is not doing something itself. And in fact, nothing in the Second Amendment or in any of the first 10 amendments, known as the Bill of Rights, grants any power to the government. On the contrary, all of the amendments in the Bill of Rights were ratified to deny power to the federal government, to make sure that even though the Constitution was supposed to be limited to the enumerated powers, that just in case there was any confusion, here's 10 or 12 things that the government absolutely can't do. If there's any confusion with what's enumerated and what isn't. So, on top of the plain words of the Second Amendment, reading it as written, there's also the purpose of the Second Amendment, which was to keep the federal government completely out of regulating firearms or other kinds of weapons. And as originally ratified, This did leave the power to regulate weapons to the state governments. And you'll notice that most of the states, all but six, have a version of the federal Second Amendment, a protection of the right to keep and bear arms. And they're all written somewhat differently. Many of them use the same words, but some of them qualify that right a little bit. Some of them don't. So under the original understanding of the Constitution, the state governments could ban everybody from bearing arms. That's something I think that conservatives don't like to hear, and I know that because they yell at me on social media when I point this out. But unless you buy what's called the incorporation doctrine, meaning that the 14th Amendment somehow incorporated the Bill of Rights into the constitution and that those prohibitions now apply to all the state governments like the prohibitions in article 1 section 10 of the u.s constitution which lists certain things the states are not allowed to do all other powers assumed by the 10th amendment to be reserved to the states or to the people so unless you buy that then you have to conclude that of course the state's originally had the power to ban guns completely, regulate them heavily, make whatever laws they want regarding the right to keep and bear arms. And that's because the whole point of the 2nd Amendment was to limit the federal government. In fact, the whole reason that the anti-federalists insisted that a bill of rights be added to the Constitution was because of their suspicion that the federal government would go outside of its powers and infringe on powers reserved to the states or the people. So all these Supreme Court cases on the Second Amendment are really meaningless, they should be, and completely antithetical to the purpose of the Second Amendment, which is to keep the federal government completely out of it and allow the states to regulate the right to keep and bear arms, which some states have prohibited their own government's from doing to a certain extent. So the other point I wanted to address is, and this comes out of Biden's own words in his State of the Union address, where he said something to the effect of, why do you need a high-capacity magazine? The deer aren't wearing Kevlar vests. Trying to be funny. Of course, he stumbled over the line like anything else that he ad-libs. I probably don't need to tell a lot of my audience, but in case I do... The Second Amendment has nothing to do with shooting at deer. It's written to protect the right to shoot at the government, if necessary. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but that's what it's there for. Being suspicious of this new federal government that was proposed and being reluctant to agree to join this new union, the people of the states insisted that their right to keep and bear arms in case they had to fight that government be preserved. And anyone who says anything different is just not being honest either with you or themselves. It's not like we have a First Amendment because we're afraid that the government's going to execute us for heresy or criticizing the government as people had been executed in England or the Fourth Amendment to prevent the colonists' own experience of being dragged out of their houses by the government acting on warrants that their officers wrote themselves to search their houses for nothing in particular called general warrants, or that we have a Fifth Amendment so that our property can't be seized by the government without an adversarial process called a trial where we're found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, It's not like we have all those amendments to protect us from the government, but then we have the Second Amendment to protect our right to shoot deer. I mean, come on, not even the liberals who are advocating this believe that, well, at least not any of them with an IQ above 100. Let's put it that way. Now, to this objection, you'll often hear, well, what are you saying, that the civilians should have nuclear weapons? Well, my first answer to that is yes, I'd rather have civilians be in possession of the nuclear weapons than the government. I should point out that 100% of the people who have been harmed by nuclear weapons Have been harmed by nuclear weapons owned by the government. But that aside, I believe that the president and or others have made the statement that the colonists or the early citizens of the United States were not allowed to possess cannon, which at the time would have been the most devastating weapons of war that one could possess. We didn't have intercontinental ballistic missiles or tanks or anything like that. So, did the colonists possess artillery? Well, not only did they possess artillery, it was actually cannon that the British were marching to Concord to seize from the colonists. They weren't there to take away their muskets or their rifles for hunting. They were there to seize the cannon that the colonists had hidden. They had actually stolen four brass cannon from the British, and uh, they also possessed 10 iron cannon. That's what the British were marching to Concord to seize. And that's what the framers had in mind when they wrote the Second Amendment, that unlike the British who tried to not allow us to possess the weapons of war, we need to preserve that right in case we ever have to fight a war against this federal government. So that's the purpose of the Second Amendment. This is really not something that's in dispute. It may be disputed on Twitter or the Washington Post, but anyone who picks up a primary source, and in fact, even if you just go to the National Park Service website, the federal government's own website, they have this story well-documented about the brass cannon that were eventually returned to Concord. That's what they're, they're happy about is that They have these artifacts back, but they tell the story about how the British were marching to Concord to seize not only these four stolen brass cannon, but the 10 iron cannons that the colonists were in possession of. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. The answer that you the day. You were right, Mr. Schmack, about everything you said. We humans just are logical, crazy in the head. So a lot of the Bill of Rights was written from personal experience. And as I said before, the Fourth Amendment was written in direct reaction to the British habit of issuing what they called general warrants where they could just come into your house and seize anything they wanted, look for anything they wanted. So that's why it's worded the way it is, where they have to be specific about what they're looking for or who they're looking for. And so too was the Second Amendment written with the experience of Concord in mind and other seizures of weapons by the British government. We're not going to let this federal government seize our weapons of war. So all of these discussions about high capacity magazines, about what do you need this or that type of so-called assault weapon for, I think it was President Obama's statement that weapons of war do not belong on American streets. Yeah, the Second Amendment was written to guarantee that the civilian population would not be deprived of the right to possess weapons of war. That's what it's for. And I'd also point out, by the way, that if you're rich enough, you do have things like tanks. There are several private tank collections among wealthy people. They've got fighter jets. I think it was Larry Ellison, the Oracle CEO, who got in trouble for flying his MiG under the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. I don't know if that's an urban legend or not, but he does have a MiG, that's for sure. So it's just not true that American civilians should not or don't have weapons of war. Having weapons of war necessary to resist tyranny by the federal government is the whole purpose of the amendment. It has nothing to do with hunting, and it really wasn't written with the idea of deterring criminals either. That's not what was in the framers' mind when they wrote the Second Amendment. And to the objection, well, you don't have an Air Force and missiles, etc., to that objection that it's pretty much obsolete to fight the American military, I suggest you talk to an Iraq or Afghanistan veteran and ask them what it takes to actually control a population. You can't do it by bombing them. You can't do it with missiles. You can cause a lot of death and destruction, but if you really want to control a population, You got to get in there and do it door to door and simply automatic weapons makes that awfully hard for a population that doesn't want to be controlled. As I said, just ask any veteran. I've asked many myself and really when it comes right down to it, the ban on machine guns is unconstitutional. That goes against the purpose of the second amendment that puts the civilians at a disadvantage against the infantry. They should be armed exactly like the infantry. They should be armed better than the infantry. If you really believe in the Second Amendment, that's what you would believe. So I wanted to wrap up just with something that came up on Twitter with the former world's most annoying male teenager, David Hogg. He had to give that up in April of 2020 when he turned 20 years old and allowed Greta Thunberg to unify the title. How dare you! But he sent out a tweet, and boy, does this ever show the brainwashing that American students endure in in the school system. If you are really pro-life, you are anti-gun. So it reminded me of an article that it turns out I wrote 10 years ago. I had remembered writing it. And the title of the article was, The Rights to Life and to Keep and Bear Arms Are Inseparable. And the point I was making is I don't think a lot of people understand what is meant by the right to life. They probably don't give a lot of thought to it, but the right to life is just not the right to live. All of the rights that are described in the liberal tradition are negative rights. They're about what other people can't do to you. So the right to life is not violated when you're killed in an earthquake. I don't think anyone would say, oh my gosh, his right to life was violated or if you're eaten by a lion, as I said in the article. No, we say someone's right to life was violated when they're killed wrongly by another human being, not in self-defense. That's the narrow definition of the right to life. So really, how do you exercise the right to life besides just breathing in and out? Really, the way you exercise that right is by defending yourself against somebody who's trying to take your life away. And that's why I say the right to life and to keep and bear arms are inseparable. Because denying the right to keep and bear arms takes away the great equalizer. I know most people in our culture live in fantasy land where... 105-pound women who know a few karate kicks beat up 250-pound trained military men. But in real life, this doesn't usually happen. First of all, most people aren't trained to fight, and they shouldn't be required to be trained to fight. An armed person of any gender who's smaller or not as skilled at fighting has every bit of a right to life, as somebody who's 220 pounds of solid muscle and a boxing champion or an MMA champion the right to keep and bear arms is the way that that right to life is secured for both parties it can allow a victim to defend himself or herself against multiple attackers and contrary to the usual liberal reply to this that you should just call the police well everybody knows that's not realistic And writers like John Locke, who I refer to quite a bit because the whole American Republic thing was based on his philosophy, according to Thomas Jefferson and others, the government cannot help you at the time you are attacked. And really, it's not the government's job to be out there preventing crimes. The government's job is to prosecute crimes after the fact. We don't want a government out there trying to prevent crimes because by definition, they're then using force against the innocent. They're using force against somebody who hasn't committed a crime. And although people like to believe that less policemen results in more crime, I really don't buy that. And I don't blame the policemen for this either. That's not their job. Their job is to go out and bring in the person who's suspected of committing a crime in the past. So I'll even link to the article that I wrote 10 years ago, and it's got all of the backup on this that Locke wrote about the fact that at the time where a thief might jump you, that you have every right to kill him if you feel the need to protect your life, and that you retain this right even after you've gone into society. And what you give up when you go into society in the kind of free society he envisioned were only two things the right to be a judge in your own case and the right to prosecute crimes that occurred in the past and everything else you're supposed to keep. Now that might be startling to people with all the rules and regulations and looting of our wealth that the government does that all they're really supposed to do is prosecute crimes and to the extent that those crimes might be committed by foreign invaders then defend us against that. That's what the classical liberal idea of a government was. So look how far we've come from that. But to wrap it up on this right to life thing, really, you can't exercise the right to life practically unless you have a right to keep and bear arms. Number one, because as many have pointed out before me, even with firearms prohibited, People will still have some as we see gun crimes in all the countries where firearms are absolutely banned. And also because even if the ban was effective, then of course only the strong, only the best fighters would really be able to defend their right to life. And I'll tell you as someone who's trained himself in martial arts for over 30 years, practice makes perfect. And even if you're a relatively fit person, And even if you've been training in a dojo and have a black belt like I do or whatever, you're at a supreme disadvantage from a professional violent criminal who's done it over and over and over again. So without the right to keep and bear arms, you have no practical way to exercise your right to life. Okay, folks, that's a wrap for today. Just want to remind you that I'm still working on launching a Patreon, which will be coming in the next couple of weeks and hopefully uh, you can see your way to support the podcast and the content that I'm creating. The more support I get, the more I can put out. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. If you happen to be listening to it on my website, well, it's available on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, just about every podcast platform that's out there. You can find this podcast and subscribe there, be delivered right to your phone automatically. And if you could, please help me out by sharing the show notes page to the podcast on your social media. That gets the awareness out there. I'm very encouraged and grateful that the podcast continues to grow very quickly. But we started from almost nothing here, folks. So it's a long road. And if you find the content that I provide here valuable, then the more people that hear it, the better. So again, please do share the show notes page on your social media. Subscribe to this podcast on your platform of choice. And if you like the music you've heard throughout Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullen-sings.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on Wednesday. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to Freedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.